Uh, right after 11 o'clock news, that means it's left, right, and center. Joining me in the studio today, Robert Metz, as he usually does. Nice Hi, to see Jim. you, Bob. How are you? And Gil Warren, who's sitting in for uh, Jeff uh, Schlemmer, who's in court today, I believe. And Gil, nice to have you back again. That's right. I'm happy to be back again. Gil's been a guest a uh, number of times on the program. Guys, I want to do something a little different this morning with your permission. And uh, I don't know how far this is going to go, but well, I think it'll be interesting for our listeners to find out. We had Marshall Jarvis on yesterday, who's the head of the uh, president of the English Catholic Teachers Association. And Mr. Jarvis was a very, very uh, pleasant man appeared to be a very bright man, came here armed with piles of statistics and all sorts of wonderful things he was going to say, uh, I'm sure, uh, negatively about the, uh, the Tory government because his union is not a fan of the Tory government. And I asked him uh, off the air and on the air um, to kind of set that aside because I think we're all tired of, ba you know, kind of one party bashing the other. None of them have a monopoly on, on, uh, on righteousness. I don't think anymore they all have feet of clay at various times and in various places. Um, so I asked him to put himself in the position of the Minister of Education, um, and given the constraints of that position, and asked him what he think or what he thought he would try to do. Where would he try to take education in the province? And personally, I thought it was a very interesting exercise. He got into the spirit of it, and he gave, I thought, some very good uh, suggestions and thoughts on directions in which he would move if he was able to do that. And I thought, uh, particularly because Gil is here today, and Gil has a long involvement in, in, uh, directly in the political process, as does Bob, that it might be interesting to ask a similar question of both of them, not so much the... Uh, Ministry of Education, but from, say, the Premiership of Ontario. Were uh, events to unfold that were to allow uh, Bob Metz or Gil Warren to be elected Premier of Ontario with a modest majority, not a thundering majority, but a modest majority in, uh, in, uh, in the legislature and uh, reasonable support from the people of Ontario for their policies. Um, I thought it might be interesting to ask them where they would go with that. And maybe we'll take it kind of an issue at a time if we can. And Gil, I'm going to start with you. We assume that you've been sworn in and you've got your legislative staff in place and, you know, the, the machinery is there. You're ready to move forward. Where would you put your priority? What would be the first thing that you would want to look into? Well, I think uh, that for me, the, the key thing would be who is my constituency? Who would I be attempting to represent? Aren't you representing everybody in the province? You're, no. not, you're now the premier. No, I would, I would uh, and Bob Ray said that when he got elected, and I disagreed with him. Mm -hmm. Now I feel that uh, my uh, constituency would be working people, and it would be uh, the majority of the people of the province, but I would not be attempting to represent the top 20% or the top 6% of the people, because they've had government after government that has represented them over the years, and it would be the turn of working people to have a government that would uh, put more weight on their side than on the other side. Okay. I don't think you can balance out being a government for everybody. Bob Ray tried it and he failed. Mm -hmm. Bob, I'll put the same question to you. Your first concern as Premier. Uh, the bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. I think that we'd have to restructure the bureaucracy and have to create a new relationship between politicians and the bureaucrats because the bureaucrats run the show. But you understand, they you understand, the Bob, that you've, got, you've had governments as single-minded and as powerful as the Harris government who've been frustrated by the yes. bureaucracy. How would you approach it differently from previous governments who've tried to wrestle that to the ground? Well, they're wrestling it. You have to do it. It's, it's not an easy process. Uh, the federal liberal go uh, government has certainly abandoned traditional constraints by using its orders and council and going around all sorts of traditional constraints that should be in the system, mm -hmm. which is creating a lot of our problems in the country today, especially with interprovincial problems. But uh, certainly, you know, if I were the premier again, I would, for, from the public's point of view, create avenues for individual choice and responsibility wherever I could in whatever way whatever way I could well, possibly do great, it. But, but, here, but you are so the premier, and that, this is Monday morning. What right. are you going to do? 
Well, we'd continue keeping taxes low. We, we want to see taxes be made lower for people. We have to address education and health care. I see nothing in any provincial legislation or constraint that would prevent the government from moving in a direction of allowing taxpayers to direct their taxes to the schools of their choice. Mm -hmm. um, in education, we should have we should open the market up again to private health insurance to allow it to offer services. Mm -hmm. um, to you know, supply health care for people, which we're one of the few, few jurisdictions in the world that has socialized medicine and outlaws private alternatives. Mm -hmm. In other areas, they may have socialized medicine, but they don't outlaw the private alternatives. Okay. Let me ask you one more quick question. I'm going to go back to Gil here. Would you see yourself as the premier of all the people, or like Gil, would you see yourself representing a particular constituency? You represent your principles, but you would certainly be the premier of all the people. And, and to me, the only philosophy that represents, quote, all the people is a philosophy of individual rights and freedom because that applies to each and every individual in society without exception. Uh, there's special status for none. There's, it's, it's an equality before and under the law. So in that respect, to the degree that I'm being faithful to that principle, that's the only way that I can represent all the people. Okay. This is Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Gil Warren sitting in for uh, Jeff Schlemmer, who's off in court today. Gil, uh, back to you. Again, you're the premier. You're moving into your mandate here. Um, you have to make some decisions about overall tax policy. Now, we assume that you made them, and that's what you ran on, but uh, elucidate for us what your tax policies are going to be. Okay, well, I think the first thing is you'd have to put it into context. What, what state would the Ontario economy be in after the election? Well, let's assume... Is it going to be a prosperous economy, let's or assume, is it going let's to be a Let's assume for the sake of argument that you guys win this next spring election. And it carries on the economy the yes. way it is. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, the first priority for me would be unemployment, and I think that that is where governments have failed uh, all three parties over the last two years. I think the NDP now uh, provincially has got itself reorganized and more focused on unemployment, but that's the key thing. We've got to get people back to work. We've got to get people back to work in the private sector and in the public sector. We've had thousands of layoffs in the public sector, and, and those people need to be put back to work. I think we have to focus on health and in education. At the same time, being a premier is a balancing act, and you'd have to balance the problem that the province has a debt and that you have to have the revenue coming in mm -hmm. to pay for in, in, uh, work programs and health and education. Mm -hmm. and, and my feeling is that uh, we need to uh, roll back the provincial tax cut uh, on income tax uh, for the, the wealthiest uh, top population. I would say the top 20%, the NDP is saying the top 6%, but mm -hmm. get, that, get that back and get billions of dollars of revenue in. So the top 20% takes us down, I think, and I stand to be correct, it takes us down somewhere around $50,000 a year. Income. I think that's pretty close, okay. yeah. And, and that top 20% have get gained over half of the uh, value of Harris's tax cut. So there's a lot of money there. Okay. So uh, I'm concerned about the debt. I wouldn't want to increase the debt anymore. If we had prosperous economic times, you would have more and more revenue coming in as the economy expanded. Mm -hmm. and, and then I, would, I, would use, I, w I wouldn't worry about drawing down the debt. Mm -hmm. uh, I would, but I would try to have the, the yearly provincial uh, budget balance yeah. uh, or close to so it. So you're going to essentially, is the, I think the phrase, you're going to freeze the debt for the time being and, and right. balance your budget. Yeah. Okay. A question that grows out of what you just said, though. Um, you're going to roll back the tax reductions for the top 20%, anybody who makes 50 grand or more. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously their tax burden goes up again. Mm -hmm. There are a number of people, economists, economists and others, who say that the reason our economy today is not as strong as that of the United States, although we are not doing badly, but we're nowhere near as prosperous right now as they are, the reason is that our tax rates are so much higher than theirs. Um, if you are going to roll back tax cuts and effectively then increase the tax rates, 
Um, what level of concern do you have that that might slow this, this uh, buoyant economy that you're counting on? Well, I, I think that that's a fallacy, and, and it's a myth that's been floating around uh, in the political world for a long time. Uh, for instance, the States has an uh, inheritance tax. We don't have an inheritance tax. I mean, it depends. If you just focus on income taxes, and that's your only base of comparison, you can come up with one conclusion, that we pay higher income taxes. But if you look at inheritance tax and other things, and look who we're comparing it with, the United States, which has the lowest uh, tax rate of the uh, industrialized world, and the poorest social programs. My comparator is uh, Europe, Western Europe, where taxes are much higher. There's much higher payroll taxes. Why should someone pay a tax for dying? Why should someone, just because they were born into a wealthy family, end up having a very uh, That's not the issue. I'm life. the person, let's say I'm the person dying. I'm the person that earned the money. The right belongs to me, not to who I give it. I can give the money to a charity. I can give the money to my children. I can leave my inheritance to anyone. That's my right that's being interfered with, and it's being... I disagree. Know, I disagree. The wealth that I create in my life to, to perhaps put aside for those purposes is being just taken away from me by the government. You don't seem to have any concern about that. E even, even if I were a true liberal, I would believe that everyone should start out equally and that there shouldn't be vast inheritances. I'm talking over a million dollars. Why should a million, I'm talking over a million equally. dollars. I don't care about under a million dollars. So. If everybody was equal, why would we go to work? Why because would we all, then, if we all started out equally, then we'd have an equal chance to, to prosper. But I'm running the province here, Bob. You get me okay. off topic, right? <laughs> okay. And I, I think that uh, what the provincial government needs to do is 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 uh, restore the cuts that uh, that Harris made during his term of office in health, in education, in the environment. I think that there's uh, tremendous amounts of uh, jobs that could be created. The environment has deteriorated. The education system has deteriorated. The healthcare situ uh, situation is worse than it was. And I think that uh, uh, a government uh, that was for the ordinary working person could make big improvements. Now. As Premier of Ontario, I would uh, be in a situation where I couldn't do everything. I mean, it's only the government of Ontario. Mm -hmm. If the federal Liberal government goes on another cost-cutting kick and cuts billions of transfer payments out, the, the provincial government would, would be uh, in, in difficulty. And you, that's could always, you could always borrow more, though. Yes, and in fact, you know, when I say a balanced budget, I might mean that we run a deficit of one or two billion or something like that. But I wouldn't run out and 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 borrow billions and billions of dollars because I don't want to give interest to the wealthy. Okay, we're going to pause for a moment. This is left, right, and center. When we come back, we're going to ask Premier Metz about his tax policy. Stay with. Me. I'm in the studio this morning with two Ontario premiers, Premier Gil Warren and Premier Bob Metz. Uh, Premier Warren just shared with us his view of his tax policy. And again, if you missed the beginning of the show, I've asked my two guests this morning to. Um, kind of assume the role of provincial premier with the constraints that come with that too. We're not talking about pie in the sky, we're talking about practical realities here. What steps would they take as the premier of a government with a modest, uh, a modest uh, uh, majority uh, in the legislature and equally modest but to solid support among the people of Ontario? And Bob, uh, my next question to you is your tax policy. You're going to have to, you've, you've run on it obviously, but I was out of the country. I don't know what it was. Now you're the premier. What is your tax mm -hmm. policy? Gil's going to roll back the, uh, ta the Harris tax cuts for starters. What are you going to do? Well, I wouldn't roll the Harris tax cuts back. I'd keep them there and continue to find other ways so we can give further tax cuts in the future. And that would mean to uh, reduce spending, government spending in a, in a big way. What, would you, uh, what, what are we spending things on that you think we could do without? Well, our health care and education system could be delivered at half the price or less if we started privatizing more things, if we started offering more uh, alternatives and choice for people. 
if we allow people to opt out of the government system, if they find that they have a better system that they can go to somewhere else, mm -hmm. you can do a lot of things. There are like a, a million things you can do if government's not involved, but when government's involved, there's only one thing you can do and everybody's got to do it. And, and that makes an economy weak and it makes it dependent. It makes people have to pay for things and see waste in areas that they otherwise wouldn't see. Is there a problem here that the problem that the Harris government has faced though, in the minds of many Ontarians, that yes, they have cut our taxes and they've cut government spending, but gee, now I've got to pay more. I've got a water surcharge I didn't used to have. I've got municipal mm -hmm. taxes I've got to pay. That if basically, I'm, I'm, it's not that I don't pay the taxes anymore, I'm just paying it mm -hmm. to somebody else. Well, that will at least alarm you to the area where the problem is. And we have a real big problem in this city with municipal taxes. Uh, you know, municipal taxes should only be allowed to be collected for the services that a home or business receives, period. Not for welfare, not for uh, arts or culture or recreation. You don't, you don't put people's homes on the line for those kinds of trivial things. Uh, a home should only have to pay taxes for the services it receives, and everything else should be optional. And and you, the thing about user pay, remember, a tax is a non-user pay fee. It's a, it's for it's mm. you pay it whether you, you use it or not. not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't even make sense on any level. At least if you're paying a user fee, you don't pay when you're not using it, mm -hmm. and and that's where the payoff is. But people don't always see that. Uh, you know, the biggest constraint that any politician would have getting into into part into government and doing the kind of things that they would want to do is the voter ultimately mm -hmm. and to me i think that we have a big schism in this country between politicians who lead and politicians who follow and i think that in order to lead you often have to challenge the public perceptions of things and that that will make you unpopular for a while and that that will make you uh, seem like an extremist or something else. Like, I'll tell you the things that we were saying 10 years ago at Freedom Party are commonplace today. I mean... Uh, it's only temporary. It's, it's not temporary. I don't know if you want to pick a specific example. I'd love to get into it. But, you know, Gil, Gil has admitted already here that he doesn't want to represent all the people. He's going to only represent the bottom 80%. The majority. He, he, wants, to, he wants to create employment. But to create employment, you need more employers. And what you want to do is penalize that sector of the economy from which those employers would most likely come. And the only well, places that I you speak of in terms of creating jobs are in those areas where the government already has control of them. So all I see what you're doing is you're going to uh, rely on 80% of the people to vote for you so they can get their hands on some of the money of the remaining 20%. That, to me, is not... No, I, moral I, politics or legitimate politics. I don't think politics. You're, you're characterizing that correctly. I think the fundamental problem we have in our economy right now, even when it's at the economic peak of the business cycle, is there's not enough work to go around. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, and wealth is being redistributed upward instead of across the society. And so what that does is demand is down. That's the problem. There's not enough demand for the cars that are made at the Ford plant. There's not enough demand for the locomotives that come out of GM. And so, therefore, unemployment is down. And, and I don't think... Unemployment is up. Unemployment is up. Yeah. Employment is down. Yeah. And, and so what we've got here is a situation where we have to stimulate demand, just like in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very similar situation. So it's not a matter of taking money away from the wealthy. I mean, they've worked hard for that money, some of them, and, and so they can keep the money. I want, I want them to pay their fair share of taxes like everybody else, mm -hmm. the same rate. But what I'm looking well, at... The, the same rate? The same, yes, because I think many wealthy people are not paying taxes at the same level. Like the user fees, I mean, the user fees are nailing average working people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the tax structure is being, is changed so that the lower you are, the more you're paying. Mm -hmm. Anyway, another issue, but okay. 
But as Premier of Ontario, I would argue that we've got to focus on demand. And we've got to get, when a person's unemployed, they're not producing anything. There's no wealth being produced. They're actually drawing from the society mm -hmm. in terms of welfare unemployment. So uh, where, where are these jobs going to come from then? I think that the, they can come out of the private sector if we increase demand for products. And they can come out of the government sector okay, if we... For our social infrastructure. Okay. How do you how do you increase demand? Uh, some people believe you do that by cutting taxes to put more dollars back into people's hands. No, I hands. think by having people working. If if a working person yeah, but where, how are they going to work? I mean, where are they going to work? Because of increased demand, you you got to get more money going into but the which economy. comes first. Well, for instance, I'm saying that we we tax the wealth. We get a few billion dollars uh, of money there. And then we, we put that money, for instance, into the healthcare system and hire nurses mm -hmm. who then work, who then go out and buy cars. Mm -hmm. So that's create, creating your demand. If that nurse is laid off or that teacher is laid off, mm -hmm. they're not going to be able to go out and buy that new car. But it's not. So it should be focused on sure. getting that What demand. if you don't have any wealthy people left? Well, what if they all just decide to take off and then, they're not then the top 20% becomes the people between 30,000 and 50,000? Yeah, but they won't, Bob, a, they won't They're not going anywhere. They won't. This is well, the one they of the... they do. In a, in, uh, in some, a, of the, some of them do. There's no question. In a sense. Yeah, but, if, but base, I mean, if that were true, they'd all be gone today. Well, because we've been hammered in this country for 20 years by well, excessive taxes. When you talk in economics, there's two levels. There's the macro level and the micro level. And on the macro level, you can make certain absolute statements that do hold true. And policies like the one that, 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 that Gill's advocating will work to our detriment in the direction that I'm pointing in. Um, everything in politics and economics is a matter of direction. And you have to decide in advance which way do you want to go. And the two choices economically are free market or state control. There's no third middle ground. Now, there's a mixed economy. That's uh, well, what I want. Well, that's... But, but wherever the state is in the mix, there is no free market. But, Bob, I want to come back to what you just a moment ago, though. And I think Gil made a point here that, that these people would not leave. And I, and I have to agree with them. Uh, some of them would. Some of the big money people have already left and always do leave, and they move back and forth across the border. But if somebody were to say to me, Chapman, your taxes are going up 10% or 15%, I'd be mad as a wet hen, but I wouldn't leave the country. I'd still be here. Yeah, but how long can you keep doing this well, process? I, you know? can keep, I can until keep the, doing it Until the government starts passing laws where you can't leave the country, I, can, I could list tons of countries around the world where that process exactly happened, and people left the country in droves. Mm -hmm. Their government's passed currency uh, restrictions. They can't take their money out of the mm -hmm. country. They pass um, just just regular restrictions. You can't physically get, leave the country in some countries. That's what the Soviet Union had to do. Mm -hmm. But, but Jim mean, told you us you can't live in a in a country where politicians get to call the rules. They're they're the they're the least knowledgeable people that you can possibly put in charge. But, but, but again, we've got to come back to the reality of you as the premier. That yeah. is the country in which you live. The politicians do call the rules. Well, then yeah. that's then I come back to my point. Do I want to be a leader or a follower? Mm -hmm. Do I want to? If I see something that the public believes in that I believe is wrong and based in either misinformation, ignorance, or just lack of knowledge or lack of interest, mm -hmm. I'm not going to cater to that. Every other politician will, but okay. I won't. Right. If, I, if I never get elected, that's not how I'm going to do it. I but know you have just been elected, and now change. you have to deal with the realities well, of that. You're having a hard time adjusting, is, Bob. My job is still to educate my constituents. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, never, that never stops. Okay, six four three twelve ninety is the telephone number. What never stops here is your ability to join the discussion. Six four three twelve ninety star twelve ninety on the Cantel. If you have a question or a comment on anything you've heard uh, either of our premiers say today, please uh, feel free to give us a call. Gil, I want, I do want to come back though to what, what happens if, what happens if you're the premier now and you have reinstituted the tax cuts, and you've got this extra money and you've hired all these extra nurses and teachers, whom I would. And I'm going to I'm going to sidetrack just for a second here. I'm not convinced that the root of our unemployment problem is all these unemployed nurses we have, though. So even if you do create jobs for another five or ten thousand nurses, I don't think that's going to make a huge dent in your unemployment figures. Those aren't the people who are chronically unemployed. But However, it will have a multiplier effect. That nurse will go out and renovate their house and hire carpenters. Okay. 
So let's come back to the fact that you are increasing these taxes, and let's say there are a lot Hang of... Hang on a second. Uh, well, okay. There's a key point here, this multiplier effect. How come it only works when you spend government's money, but it Didn't doesn't work when I did not say that. Money? I did not say that. The same thing works at the Ford well, plant. Then, Anyways, then why are you using that as a reason to get the government to do this? It's an, if it's an irrelevant point, then it's not a because justification for but government. The, but the government does fund, right now, the government does fund health care. He's the premier of a province where government funds health care. Right. What he's saying is, I want to put more tax dollars, money from the people, into health care. Right. And I'm saying that I yeah. would put less into that way of funding health care than I would in providing other options okay. for people. Okay, but come back to where I was going here. Okay. You, you've, you've increased these tax rates. The American economy, whether you agree with it or not, a lot of Canadians do believe that their overall tax, tax uh, level or, or tax rates are lower, that you're more prosperous there. Let's say that you do start to see an exodus of, of wealthier Canadians south of the border. Do you simply stand back and say, well, that's the price we pay for what we've done, and so you don't want to be part of where we're going? Thanks for coming out. Or do you, do you have to intervene with that? Well, I think, first of all, your premise is off a little bit, because Ontario is one of the most prosperous, uh, strongest economies in the world. If I was sitting with a billion dollars looking at a place to invest, Ontario was right at the top of my list. I mean, I'm not going to put my money into Rwanda or Afghanistan. No, but you might very well put it into Michigan or Ohio. But the, <clears throat> there is only so much that you can invest in Michigan or Ohio, too. I mean, th if, if some, if some uh, big business guy pulls out of Ontario, another big business guy will go and say, look, there's an opportunity, and we'll move in and set up his factories. Well, because we there's a market here. But we don't see that happening, though. But we do. We see particularly it. with the globalization. And that's another reality as Premier you have to deal with. Whether you like it or not, it's here. So these individuals, if you've got a, that billionaire who says, you know, I'm not making enough return on my billion dollars. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go someplace where I can make more money. I would question your assumption that there'll be another billionaire waiting to fill his shoes. Well, <clears throat> again, your, your assumption is that capital is totally free and can flow anywhere around the world. And uh, uh, that is the case in some industries and in the financial sector and some others. But it's not the case in, in terms of cement production at, out at Beachville. You cannot truck cement around the world. You're going to produce that locally. So the economy is a lot more complicated and complex than this idea that, that any investment can go anywhere. It can't. There's a lot of investments that have to be local. There's a local economy. Yeah, but I can, if I'm, I can sell my, I'm going to sell my cement plant to you. Right. I can even do it at a loss. I can say, I, I want out here. I'm going to sell it to Gil, and you're going to buy the cement plant. Now you're running the cement plant, you realize the same thing that I did. My gosh, I've invested all this money in the cement plant, and I'm just not getting the kind of return on my dollars I need to get. Well, this is, you know, I'm from a union background, and I've negotiated union contracts, and I can't walk into an employer and demand $20 an hour when the business can only support $10 an hour. But and I know that when I go into negotiations. But some unions have done that. You will... You will Admit and they that. don't last very long. Exactly right. right. Neither okay. the businesses don't either. Uh, yeah, I, as a union leader, I had to operate in a world where I tried to guess what was practical and real. And as a premier, I'd have to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I would have to balance out uh, getting business really, really mad at me versus them being only a little bit mad at me. Mm -hmm. They're going to be mad at me as a premier no matter what I well, do. Well, they're mad they're, at every premier. Oh, they're really going to be mad at this one because yeah. they don't want me in there. Yeah. And they're going to do everything to get, to get me out of there yeah. because I'm working for working people. Mm -hmm. All right? So... I would have to be prepared for a big attack by business. And, but there's a lot of propaganda there. There's the threat to leave versus the reality of leaving. Mm -hmm. And they're going to threaten that mm -hmm. endlessly. Well, what I'm asking my question, though, is what if they do leave? What if they say, we're out of here? Well, then maybe we'll look at the provincial government picking up that part of the economy. Most that of the people flag. who leave, leave quietly. You know, you wake up one morning. Yeah, but you, you can monitor. You haven't got enough doctors. You haven't got enough nurses. You haven't got enough. Well, teachers. let's talk about nurses. You haven't well, got let's enough talk about businesses nurses. running. All right. But 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 hang on. Let's talk, okay. let's, this issue of there not being enough work around is a matter of pricing, not work. There's infinite amount of work anywhere, any time. But if you were going to say there's not enough work at twenty dollars an hour, or not enough work at fifteen, or not enough work at ten, 
I might, I might buy that, but I'm not going to buy that there's not enough work to do in the province. The issue is what level of wages can the province support and can most employers who are now on that marginal level of where they're hiring or not hiring, what can they really afford to pay for? And what are willing, people willing to work for? That's another issue. I, I don't think employers are on the margin. They're, they've gone through one of the most prosperous economic times they've had in the last three or four years. Record profits and, and ref, re, record payouts to shareholders. In fact, the Statistics Canada and other uh, statistics clearly show that wealth is, is pouring to upward to the upper class. I mean, you see the BMWs and everything else. Yeah, but where does they've the money done go? really well. They've done really well. But where does that money go? Sometimes you, it's invested. Sometimes no, no. it's used to buy cars. But you, ta you talked before about creating this, I forget what you used, the, about the nurses getting creating other jobs. What was that term? Multipl multiplier effect. Is, does, isn't it the same thing? I mean, if I'm an investor and I've made a lot of money on yeah. my investments, what do I do with that money? I either buy something, which is the multiplier effect, or I reinvest it in another country. A company yeah. which is also the multiplier the, be effect. the best use of that money would be to build a new factory. Uh, not as good a use of the money would, to be buy, would be to buy a Mercedes-Benz that's made in Germany or something like that. Yeah, except, except it, no, no, wait a minute, that's a little specious, and you, you know better than that. The, the, if I buy a car that's built in Germany, that means it, if our balance of, of, of trade is I'm fairly even, Ontario, which it is. So I want the jobs here. No problem, no problem, but the jobs are here because we've got to create products that we sell to Germany to, to affect that balance of trade. I, you I, know that. I, I, I disagree with this whole direction uh, and assumption about globalization and free trade. I oppose free trade. Not, no, that, I'm not talking about free trade. I'm talking about the realities of trade as it used to exist. In order for, in, in the macro sense that Bob talked about, in the macro sense, in order for, for you to buy a Mercedes, somebody in Germany has to have, in theory, and the theory is pretty close to, to practicality, somebody in Germany has bought something from Canada that more or less equals that same amount of value. Because when we get into serious trade imbalances and trade differences, we, we, we adjust the trade. So you may have bought that car in Germany. You've bought something that somebody in Germany built, but they bought something we built in Ontario to balance it out. Yeah, but we could buy a Crown Victoria and keep the jobs right in the London economy. And I think that's... But what about the products we sell to Germany, though? Yeah. If we're not buying their products, they're not going to buy ours. Well, I would argue the issue that... Too is with this, uh, he's, at, he's asking me the question okay. here. Okay, I would argue that, that, that the, the solution is not more international trade. In fact, I would argue that the solution for Ontario, as Premier of Ontario, would be for more trade within Ontario. Mm -hmm. And and and. A situation where we are promoting not multinational corporations and, and international finance, but where we're promoting local community economic development, where we're, where we're supporting in London, making as many things in London as possible. But, so but you, and, and support trade and barriers between London and Toronto so we could have more trade? No, I'm, to, I'm Premier of Ontario here, so I'm going to support well, building up the economy of Ontario. Trade barriers between Ontario and Quebec then? Or Ontario and Manitoba? Maybe. I, uh, we had those, and we had them. We still have them. We, we still have them. And we had them more 20 or 30 years ago. But that's I, what we need. But we need more trade we, barriers. We shouldn't be <laughs> focusing on the trade barriers. You're missing the point, which mm -hmm. is. I'm saying that we should be building up our local economy. Yeah. If you've got a lot of unemployed people, give them a little bit of money with a community loan fund to start their own small cooperatives yeah. or their small businesses yeah. Yeah. And, and keep the money flowing in the economy and, and multiplying and developing and, and focus always on the unemployment problem. Money is always and flowing in the economy, even if it's sitting in a mattress or it's sitting in somebody's bank. You okay, know? I'm going to leave it on that note here. We'll be right back, folks. Lots more to come. If you want to join the fun, 643-1290 with uh, Bob Metz and Gil Warren sitting in for Jeff Schlemmer, who's in court today. This is Left, Right, and Center, and we've been having what I hope you're finding as fascinating as I am, a discussion about our two premiers here. Each of these gentlemen has been elected premier, um, and we've been discussing what kind of what their priorities would be, and then we've been moving from there. Bob, I want to come back to you. We've talked about, uh, you've, you've mentioned health care and education, and we've talked about uh, taxation policies. Um, what about government 
support of small business or the kinds of seed capital loans that Gil was talking well, about? Is there a role there? Absolutely. Lower taxes. Lower taxes, lower regulations make it easier for people to get into business and not encourage them by taking Mr. X's money and giving it to Mr. Y. That's totally counterproductive. Um, but what if Mr. Y has a legitimate idea, is a hardworking individual, and cannot, because of the realities of the capital market today, cannot raise the modest amount of capital he needs to see his dream come true? You and I both know, all three of us know, this country is full from coast to coast of people who've, who have somehow managed to do that and have achieved success and lots of people who've never had that opportunity have had that I don't want to say success denied them but if there had been those few dollars that seed money there for those businesses well, those businesses might be I, flourishing I have, today well that might be the case but if I'm the investor I have you don't have the right to tell me that I must give my money to your friend because he's got a good idea no no you're missing the point you're missing so that's what government does if you're no. given the money from no. government that government's taking that money from someone else without their consent and they might not even like the business that you're investing in it might be their competitor that their money's going to and that's the or maybe the tragic whole, irony of government maybe, spending maybe the whole economy you know, will will prosper and 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 develop and that guy will get more business it will only prosper the guy who paid if the taxes. we have policies contrary to the ones that you were suggesting and jim already jim you already said we have to live within the constraints of the reality about us mm -hmm. well well you know Globalization is one of those realities, so we can't even be talking about cutting off free trade realities. But you have to learn to love globalization and understand how to use I'll it to love our advantage. Because free trade, well, because it means free trade. If, if I want to buy a product, a magazine, a book, or anything from somebody in the States or Thailand or somewhere, you as, just because you're a Canadian and I'm a Canadian, you don't have a right to tell me I can't do that. Six four three twelve ninety is our telephone number. Star twelve ninety on the Cantel and Barry joins us. Good morning, Barry. Hi, how are yes, you doing, guys? Fine, thank you. That's good. Uh, a couple of things. The, f the first point is um, government is always at the, the mercy of, uh, in my opinion, of uh, business, and usually it's big business. And the reason I think uh, that's the case is because uh, they're the ones that fill the uh, their campaign uh, coffers. Mm -hmm. Not I only think that they pay all the taxes too. That's why you have to have no, that. no. They they don't pay all the taxes. Well, the majority of them. Well, they they pay a chunk, but but so does everybody else. If you add up uh, what all the uh, well, yeah, the, but everybody else is people employed by business, so it's business again. It's, okay, it, it works I think true, very, true, very true enough. But very, uh, you also right, have to take into right. consideration that mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the jobs, the majority of jobs, are right now created by small and medium-sized businesses. That's true. Which basically have very little voice in what goes on. That's right. In, Those small businesses can, aren't contributing millions of dollars to the Tory or Liberal campaigns, and they don't have the same political pull. Right now, the political system is do dominated by the donations made by Ford or GM. But let's not forget, though, guys, that nobody is donating millions of dollars to political campaigns. Even the big banks are something, what's like $400,000, something like that, in the last listings we had of their donations and so on. You're I mean, not that, allowed that, to that's give not, a lot of chicken feed, but it's not a ton of money either. But well, you don't think that has uh, an impact on uh, what decisions are made? Well, well I, I, I'm not, uh, and I'm being absolutely honest, I'm not sure that it makes all that much difference, no. No, because, because this is, there are strict spending and, and fundraising limits on political parties in Canada and in Ontario. Every political party gets audited statements of all the other parties with the names and addresses of every single person who gives money to that party. But, and if you want to see who's gave, who gave money to whatever party, come on down to Freedom Party. I'll show you the listings and you'll be surprised. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of people come in saying, oh, this big business is supporting this, and they look and they gave them 300 bucks or something like oh, that. Yeah, on. that's going to make a big difference. 
The, the reality is that uh, the, Tories, the, reality. the Tories in this election have millions and millions of dollars. They're flush with cash. It's incredible. they got more money than they know what yeah, to do with. Yeah, but it's, not, but it's, not, it's, from, not, from it's not from big business. It's yeah, it is. It is. And, and, well, wait a minute. No, hold on. It isn't. How can you say it is? What, where are the figures? Because the figures I've seen don't show that. What are the maximum donations that you've seen? In the, the maximum you're allowed in to the give. thousands of dollars. Yeah. Not, not even the tens of thousands. No, you're not, you can't give that much. Yeah. You can, as, as a corporation, as GM, you can, you can put executives into campaigns, and that's not part of the, of the calculations. You can, set, you can send an executive that's spending, in, in that's for a month. That's a spending month. limit, not a fundraising limit. That's a whole other issue. No, and, 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 no, 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 and, no, no, no that, that's uh, a great yes, value to this. Absolutely, but the, u but the unions can send union executives yeah, to go work for the NDP. The financial resources the GM are far greater than, than all the unions in Ontario combined. So yeah, it's but, not a but they can't. But they can't. Uh, they can't second their whole executive staff. I mean, they, you know, they've still got a business to run. They can. They can pour a lot of people. Well, let's go back to Barry. Barry, you said you had another comment. Oh, I, yeah, I have a couple of uh, comments, mm -hmm. and and this is actually kind of fun, just stirring up the hornet's nest. <laughs> mm, great idea. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the other things is I think uh, big business also donates to all three parties generally. Yes, not very much to the NDP. Very well, very little, very little to them. Yeah, but I, I think I think you know they're, what they're doing is hedging their bets, and the reason yeah. is because they they'll have a, a say in regardless of who gets in. But anyways, uh, moving on to like my my next point, yes. um, I, I think uh, you, you know you say that you should have less government uh, regulation. And I think when you have uh, usually um, uh, self-regulation, which uh, which a lot of the uh, different sectors have, I just think that's a disaster, a recipe for disaster. What kind of regulation people. are you talking about, Barry? When I say less regulation, I'm always meaning economic. I don't think the government should be able to tell you or me at all what to do with our money, who to spend it with, or how to spend it. Now, no, no, but I think I think this should be like uh, I think regulation. When I'm talking regulation, I'm saying you can do this or you can't do that. If you create. Uh, you know, uh, hazardous products. You should be able to. So you're talking, sa well, you're talking safety and that's, safety and health related regulations. World. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think anybody here wants to do away with them. Okay. Well, that 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 those are some well, of the things we're, not, we're Nobody's saying that businesses shouldn't obey the law, or have or have to observe. Yeah, but somebody has to regulate right. that, and somebody has well, to have punitive damages or you know uh, sure, sanctions sure. to uh, to stop that from happening. Absolutely. And uh, so that, that's virtually one of the things. Barry, you had one more thing you said you wanted to say? Okay, yeah, just uh, um, uh, allowing people to opt out of social programs is another recipe for disaster. I think if somebody wants to go elsewhere, and I, I think there, there should be uh, options. I think they should be allowed to go to whatever clinic or whatever and pay for their own kind of... Uh, well, that's two-tiered health care. I know. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I Which believe... Which is another reality. I think I, I I don't think they should have to uh, you know fly to Mexico or wherever just to get a procedure done. So that what you want is be regulated. What you want is com compulsory socialized medicine, but a two-tiered system. So right. if you're wealthy enough, you don't have to stay in the socialized system. Right. It would it would it would take off some of the burden of, of the uh, the social system no, as I well. I disagree. I don't I don't accept that. I was okay with all your other comments, but on, on at, the, at this point, I got to disagree because okay, then then I'll be in the center. Then how's that? I'll take <laughs> well, it's, it's left, right, and right. Right here. Anyway, so. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I've, been, right I've been trying anyway. to be scrupulously fair here to and you throw Barry's, one like that at me. Uh, oh, to answer goodness. Barry's point, you told me I was supposed to be funny today. <laughs> Uh, to answer Barry's point, if you allow a two-tier system to develop where the rich can go and get their own services, then they have no uh, interest in the public system. And so then you can politically, as Premier, I would be trying to preserve the health care system and there would be this big constituency out there saying, why are you spending so much money on health care? Let it deteriorate, let it run down. But you already said it was a little constituency and you didn't care about them anyway. No, but they would... <laughs> 
they would use that as a political weapon, and, and it would become a political problem. But you've got 80% of the people yeah. on your side. I'm not, I, what, I, what I'm saying is that the, the, the wealthy have to have the same investment in our health and education systems as everybody else in order for them to want to defend it as but well. But they do if they're, if they're forced to pay into it. I mean, I got the sense, Barry, you weren't saying they'd be able to opt out of the socialized. Just if they had more money, they could buy extras. Is that what you were saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, they still have to pay for their, still their fair share. They're paying and their fair share. Which, 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 would be, which would be substantial if it was on, on a but then you on end percentage up with, of income or whatever. Then you end up with a private hospital just for the wealthy. And, and then and what's wrong with that? Because they're going to lose interest as as taxpayers in preserving the public system. But they're still paying it. No. Well, who cares if they're interested? Barry's, Barry's option is that they will continue to pay, but they can have a, their own hospital system which they can go to so that they aren't using the and so the brightest doctors and the best nurses end up there because they can pay more money Why, are they all mercenaries you end up with a deteriorating is, er, is that's your your market forces you guys <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly it is market forces it's, it's what a person and i'm saying that do. those so market forces have to be controlled so you're saying no freedom for doctors or nurses they can't make their choices i'm so saying that now you've got to regulate yeah. them you got to license them, tell them where they can work, where they can't well, work. It, I mean, it, it just snowballs. No, 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 no. Because yeah. if you have, let's say, a surcharge on, on that kind of, of uh, business or, or whatever, and it would be, that surcharge would go straight into the, uh, to the, uh, to the, you know, the, uh, the government-run uh, yeah. operation. I think that would be much, much better. You know what the problem with that whole system is, and let's get to the root of it, you can't run a pay-as-you-go system. If you're going to have a a health care system that's supposed to protect us from financial loss due to illness, it has to be actuarially sound. You've got to set it up like an insurance plan. You've got to charge people premiums. Their premiums must be put into an account that only they have access to. It must be invested so that when they come back to that account later, that there's more money waiting there for them, not them being dependent on the latest politician's promise or the ability of the taxpayer to pay at some future time in life. That's not going to guarantee you your health care. Uh, you know, fundamentally, you have to put the health care system on a sound basis so that everybody can be assured that they're going to have that protection. All right, Barry, I'm afraid we have to leave it there, but I appreciate your call today. No problem. Thanks for joining us. Tom's up next. Hi, Tom. Hi, how are you doing, Joe? Fine, thank you. Good. Discontinuing the uh, discussion there on the, uh, the two-tiered health care. Yeah. Um, my, own, my own opinion is that why should health care be any different than the education system? I think I made that comment to you once before, yeah. but uh, um, in the education system, we have a public system which is terrific, and if somebody wants to pay more to send their kids to private school, you know, be my guest. Mm -hmm. um, by the same token, I mean, uh, they still have to support the public system, and in a, in a, in, the, in healthcare, if you set that kind of a program up, it'll be the same as a person who doesn't own a car still has to pay taxes that go to to keep the roads and uh, and highways active. Um, that's just part of being a citizen. Yeah. But if a person can afford to pay extra for health care, I don't see why they, would, they shouldn't be allowed to. John, uh, thanks for the call today. Or Tom, I appreciate right. you. Uh, Gil, just quickly, um, the difference between the education system we have today, where, where if you are wealthy, you can go outside the system, you still have to pay. Uh, would you, w taking your logic as far as it goes, then, I would suggest, or I'm wondering, the wealthy don't care about public education? In, in, I mean, public That's education, right. is, you, is, yeah. is it suffering because of that? Your previous caller said something about a hornet's nest. I'll stir that up. As Premier of Ontario, my first act would be to march up the street and burn down Upper Canada College. Mm -hmm. that, that Upper Canada College has, is where the elites have been trained since uh, before the rebellion of 1837. I wouldn't actually burn it down. I'd turn it into a daycare. But anyway, uh, the, uh, the whole social structure of the upper class in Canada 
is dependent on Upper Canada College. They go there to school. But so what? They, because what happens is those kids go there to school, they meet each other, they become friends and buddies, and then when it's time to start a business, one of those guys loans money to the other guy to get his business started. We were talking before about how taxes discourage small business. It's not. It's, well, you're it's saying access wrong to with capital. People networking and, and meeting people before they borrow money. At Upper them? Canada College, okay, they can do okay, that. Okay, okay, okay. Upper Canada College, notwithstanding, um, if I understand your logic about... I don't want private schools in Ontario. So you, uh, are, they hurt, are they hurting the system now, though? Yes. They're they are weakening public education. How are they doing sure they that? Are. Because the wealthy who go to Upper Canada College have no interest in the public education system. But they, don't clear, they, don't, they don't care yeah. if, if the floors in the local high schools are covered in dust at 4 o'clock. But they're still paying three for them. inches thick. They don't care about but that. But they're still paying for them. Yeah, they're paying for them, but they don't care because their kid is not coming home and complaining about that. They're not, they're not, they don't care because their kid's not going to come home and complain about user fees to play football or soccer. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. If you don't have an interest in, in, in the system, in public education, mm -hmm. and you're at Upper Canada College, you don't care what happens at so Clark none of Road us, or so, Laurier so or any of the high school. So none of us have any say then? It's only this, this little handful of... What are we, you know, are we going to chop their heads off? Is that what you're saying? No, we're going to put them all in public school. There must be something really wrong with the public school system if a handful of private schools are such a big threat to the system. Okay, we've got to stop for a moment. We'll be back to take more of your calls and continue our discussion on Left, Right, and Center. Left, Right, and Center, and John's up next. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? Fine, thanks. Are on the air? Yes, go ahead. Okay, I'd like to ask uh, any of these gentlemen, or all three of them, if they have any concept of small business, because my my impression is that most politicians don't and don't seem to care because we're not we're not big enough and don't employ enough people like GM that mm -hmm. uh, uh, we can make a lot of noise. Now, what, what kind of impression do you think they should have, or do you well, want them I to have? I think they should they should uh, realize very very quickly that small business uh, collectively. Uh, is the major employer, uh, we, the major we, job creator. Both of us acknowledge that yeah. already, John. Yeah, yeah it's, al it's also small business has the highest rate of failure as well. But uh, you asked me, do I have a concept of small business as the socialist premier of Ontario? My dad ran a hardware store in Elmer for 25 years. I know all about small business. I know the good side of small business and the bad side of small business. And I also know that small business is desperate for cash. Every small business has this really incredible credit crunch. It's not taxes that is, that is preventing people from having small business. Businesses. It's access to capital. If you have a rich relative or a rich friend who gives you that first thousand dollars, away you go. And if you don't, that business never gets off the ground. As Premier of Ontario, I would want to encourage small business, whether it's privately owned or co-ops, and I think that the way to do that is to have access to community loan funds. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but uh, uh, from my perspective and most of the people that I know, uh, I, have a, I have a very good uh, account manager that uh, when, when it's necessary, they advance me the funds I need either for new equipment or, or to expand. Or, well, you must have or, a very sound business. Well, to do these yeah. things. But what I do find is that, uh, that uh, from a small business standpoint, we're taxed to death. Uh, no, you're not. The health care system no. is now a payroll tax. It's the employer's responsibility, whereas before it used to be co-pay, uh, well, which is far more equitable. John, we we pay all not. of the WC. Um, we, we uh, of course, pay the payroll taxes on, on the UI at 1.4 uh, to what the uh, employee's contribution is. If so, Gil, what, is John just whining here? Is John He's just whining. whining? This is whining, yep, yep. So I'm not finished yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we're just about out of time, though. Then we get then we get to the profit scenario, if there is any, and the government gets approximately 51% uh, of any profit plus 3% corporate tax surcharge if the profit's high enough. So we have an invisible partner who has no investment, uh, and and we're subsidizing uh, everybody else through high taxes from a small business standpoint. It makes it very very difficult. Gil, I'm going to ask you why you think he's not overtaxed. Why is it? Because you should go to Europe, move to Europe, and see what taxes are like there. I mean. 
everybody whines about their taxes. What if, an if, answer. Oh, man. If everybody, wa- everybody whines about their taxes, yes, he's paying a tax burden. But, but so is the working guy at Ford's who has, who has just paid a pile of well, income tax. Don't you tax. think his tax burden should be lower to everybody's taxes? Should taxes are not the problem. Unemployment is the taxes problem. Demand is the problem. an obscenity practically in this country that Canadians Unemployment are is the, the obscenity. Level. Well, it's caused by high taxation. No, it's you not. Get no, the connection. No. Come on. Get it's not the, the connection. That's your oh. silly theory. John, thanks for your call today. i got to leave it there. Appreciate <laughs> hearing from you. Dave, we got about 30 seconds for you. Dave, are you there? Yes. Oh, hi. Sorry. Uh, quick question. I... Fifty grand is being high income for people, which really isn't. Yeah. How do they determine that people at fifty grand are uh, all driving Mercedes and living in half million dollar houses? Um, in other words, why are we wealthy when um, you know it's seventy five hours a week to make fifty grand, whereas the guy making thirty may be working uh, forty hours a week? Why don't we start to tax people on? the contribution to the economy or how many hours they put in. In other words, when we look at, say, a a doctor that maybe is put in 10 years with no money that may have a high income and a cap of a quarter million bucks, and I'm not a doctor, but why don't we start to say, well, you've donated 10 years of your time. Why don't we start to do an hourly average income? It's a good question, David. We don't have time to follow it up, but we are going to do that on an upcoming program because that's a great question. I appreciate your call, sir. Folks, we're out of time. I'm sorry to say that because I've had a good time today. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. And Gil, we'll look forward to having you back the next time you're sure, away. Sure. And uh, maybe we'll pick this up. And in fact, maybe we'll have Gil back on his own because there are some other things that I think would be interesting to chat about. Uh, so my thanks to my two guests. My thanks to you for listening tomorrow. I don't know, a whole bunch of stuff happening tomorrow. So please join us for the next edition of Talk of the Town. Today at uh, 1230, it's Ask the Experts. And we've got uh, Robin Chris from Financial Strategies Group to help you keep a hold of as many of those dollars as you can. Keep them away from the tax man if that's at all possible. Uh, for Gil and for uh, Bob and for Ryan and for Kathleen and everybody here at Shim Sand, take care of each other. Mind how you go and stay tuned for Ask the Experts.